0: Let me invite you to open your Bibles, please, to the book of James, chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, it's a joy to sing of the truthfulness of your word and of your character, how your mercy does not ever end, how your kindness is constantly displayed, and how you hold us in the midst of difficulties. You are a shelter for us. Help us this morning as we consider your word that we would allow you to have your way in us, that we would learn from you, that we would be encouraged even in the face of the things we deal with day in and day out as we look forward to the future that you have set before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had an interesting week this week. It started at the beginning of the week with a short pastor's retreat. It was really encouraging. I was very thankful for it. And the last part of the week was wrapped up in dealing with services uh, for a military member. This was an 18-year-old Marine who was killed in a motorcycle accident, leaving behind a mourning family, including a young wife. That was uh, certainly traumatic for anyone that that loses someone at any age, and uh, certainly there are certain aspects that make it even more difficult. Life is filled with challenges, and there are many aspects of our lives that we'd rather leave out altogether. We'd rather not experience some elements of life There may be even long periods of our lives that we would prefer would just be eliminated. The difficulties we face and the fact that they come regularly should cause us to evaluate our perspective of the life that we're living. I think too often we have a wrong expectation of what we face and in many ways of what we think we are owed Sometimes we think we're owed calm seas, prosperity, and health. There are even groups of churches and evangelical circles that preach that these conditions of health, wealth, prosperity, and peace are a result of our faith and faithfulness. And while they can point to certain scriptures of pas- uh, certain passages of Scripture that... that they use to support their claims, we know that those passages are distorted when it comes to the context of Scripture. When we face trials, what should be our perspective? What should we we be thinking? Is it out of the norm for God's children to face turmoil? And what is the purpose of the trials that we face? Dealing with trials should include answering this question, have I been made for this world or the next? Is your ultimate prize something here or something there? Now or eternity? When we face trials, these kinds of questions should flood our minds. And so we have before us a text of scripture that I trust will be an encouragement to us because you know, I don't know about you, but I don't think you've been floating through life without dealing with adversity and difficulty. And if you had the wrong perspective that this life was really supposed to be easy and if I were doing everything right, everything would line up just so, then you've probably not only dealt with adversity but a lot of guilt and discouragement. And the reality is the difficulties we face Have a specific design from a God who knows us and loves us. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. We're only going to consider verses 2 through 4. James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Five truths about trials. We'll try to move through them rather quickly. Not all of them, but the first few pretty quickly. The first truth we want to notice about trials is that trials come in different forms. You could say they have different clothing. Uh, Various ways that trials come across. There are health trials where we don't feel well or someone we love does not feel well. They're afflicted with a disease that may be terminal or life-altering. These are trials that that impact our physical body. There are financial trials where we don't have enough to pay our bills, where we don't foresee where next month's rent money will come from, where we don't see where we'll have the finances to uh, pay our car insurance or pay for gasoline or our some of these other normal parts of life. Some trials are relational. Someone we love is turned away from us. Someone we care about is turned away from the Lord. Husband, wife, parent, child, someone you care about in in another way, a friend. These, These can produce different kinds of trials. Then there are trials of death, trials that grieve our heart. Deeply, where we, we think if if only X, Y, or Z had been done, maybe this could have been prevented. Or maybe I won't see them again. I don't know their spiritual condition. Death produces all manner of trials and difficulty for us. Weariness. Weariness is a trial. When you press and press and press to do those things that are necessary to our lives and, and we just seem so soft of our energy, that can be a, a kind of trial that we face that, that really we don't see, see how we can shake it. And often that kind of weariness leads to another type of trial of depression. We have no hope for what's next. Trials come in various Ways, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into or when you meet trials of various kinds. So your trial may be different than your spouse's. Your spouse is different than someone else you meet. We all deal with different elements of life. Trials are trials. They look different, but the substance is the same. A second truth about trials is this. Trials can seem all-encompassing. Trials can seem all-encompassing. Again, in verse 2, he says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. When you meet trials of various kinds. This is an interesting way to translate that. The word is peripitao, or peripipto, excuse me. And it means to fall into as to be encompassed. To fall into as to be encompassed. You're walking along, and you trip, and you fall into a... Mud puddle. And it's all around you. It's like it's encompassing to your pathway. This word is used two other times in the New Testament. Once when Jesus was telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it talks about the Good Samaritan falling among robbers. He fell among robbers. They They were all around him. So much that he couldn't overtake them. He was overtaken by them instead. Another time it was used when Paul was sailing to Rome. And on his journey to Rome, you'll remember that the, the ship struck a reef. It says, but striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. And the word peripipto, fell into, or meet, is striking. It's like it just smacks you in the face. And you remember what happened to that ship, right? It just pieces all over the place. Trials seem like they overwhelm us. It's like I can't move to the right to get away from it. I can't move to the left to get away from it. I can't duck it. I can't jump it. I can't retreat, and I can't push through it. It's just everywhere. The trial just simply overwhelms me. Trials seem all-encompassing. When we feel that we are up to our noses in it, it just creeps up. Past our mouths, and we, we have our heads tilted back so we can still get a little, a little air into our nostril to keep ourselves from being overwhelmed. It's at that point that we are in the best place to experience a supernatural intervention. This is where God demonstrates he's the only solution. Remember this. God promised that he would never leave us or forsake us. If you're his child, he'll never leave you or forsake you. You may think there's no way out. You may think there is no hope. You may think there is no refuge. God himself has promised he would never leave you or forsake you. While we feel surrounded by any trial, remember what the psalmist said about God's presence. I want you to think about this. It parallels this so beautifully in Psalm 139 in verse 5 where he's talking about God's incredible insight and his his presence and his knowledge. It says in verse 5, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Hemming one In, Before, behind, on both sides. While you may feel as though the trial is overwhelming, also know this. There's someone else equally, even more so overwhelming. He will surround you in front, behind, to your right, and to your left. And and it's so tender. It's not just like he's there. It's good to know he's there. But notice that he lays his right hand. Or he lays his hand upon you. There's intimacy. Not just presence, but intimate presence. When? In the face of our difficulty. You'll remember the psalmist David writing this in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Why? You are with me. But not just impersonally. Not just as an observant, observing what's going on. He says, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. My cup runs over. You anoint my head with oil. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I can fear no evil. Why? Because God's there. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the promise we have when we know God. When surrounded by trials, the reality of God's surrounding us should be even more obvious. A third truth about trials from James chapter 1 trials come from an all-wise father. Now, he doesn't say it that way here. We have to recognize this from the the whole of Scripture, but look at what it says in verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith... We'll stop right there. We'll come to the, the rest of the verse in a minute. The testing of your faith. Who's testing this faith? Who's testing it? God is. God is testing our faith. Remember, The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over what? Paul. Every circumstance that comes into your life is not without purpose. It is not without God's direct, sovereign ability to have withheld or sent this difficulty. Don't forget that. We may grow weary in the midst of our trials because we think, God, here I am. Have you forgotten me? And better to know, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to learn? How how should I better trust you through this? Trials come from an all-wise father. Father. All wise, He knows everything. He knows what's best. And he's not an all-wise, simply despot, like he's distant and care and, and carefree. He's an all-wise father who cares about his child and what we need. A fourth truth about trials is trials are a testing of our faith. The trying of your faith. Theological, philosophical question for you. Why? Is God testing our faith? Does He know whether our faith is sincere or not? He knows everything. Earlier in Psalm 139 that I referenced already, He says, "I know a thought before it comes on your tongue." He knows our hearts. Is God testing my faith? So He'll He'll be able to say, "Ah, oh, now I know that you believe me." Or is there something even better than this? Because He already knows the truthfulness of our faith. When God tests our faith, it's so that we know. It's so that we know we trust him. It's so we know we've come to the end of our own resources, our own abilities, our own self-reliance and say, this is it. You're the only one. No one else, nothing else. You're enough. God tests our faith to prove the genuineness of our faith, not to him he knows, but to us, because we don't always know. Fifthly, lastly, but don't get excited. I told you that we weren't going to be quick on every one of them. Trials produce lasting benefits. Trials produce lasting benefits. Look again at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing if our lives were only about the years that we have on earth we would want to squeeze every ounce of fun and prosperity out of this experience that we could if it was as simple as we live and we die, and that's the end, we would just be those that live for pleasure and our own benefit every day for the rest of our lives. Because we know that's the end. But it's not the end. Those that live life with only the purpose of their own enjoyment and their own satisfaction find very quickly, I am not satisfied. And so they need bigger and better. And you know what they find out? They are not satisfied. And so they look for something that's bigger and better. And they find out deep in their own soul they are not satisfied. So they look for bigger and better. And they find out in their own soul they are not satisfied. Seeking satisfaction from things that could never satisfy. The words of C.S. Lewis should resonate with a person who has tried and failed to seek satisfaction from this temporal life. He wrote, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world, folks, were you made for this world or the next? God is trying to produce something, particularly two things in this text, in his child's life. First of all, steadfastness. The trying of your faith produces steadfastness, or the word in the Greek is hupomone, which can be translated patience, or patient endurance with circumstances. The book of Romans chapter 5 gives us this same result of tribulation. It produces patience, Patient endurance with difficulties. This patient endurance with difficulties is the ability to endure through anything. And this muscle is not exercised in peace and quiet. It is not exercised by smooth sailing and prosperity. It is exercised in the battleground of turmoil. During my training at Fort Jackson, we do our daily PT at 5 a.m. And They were trying to build in us an endurance and so we would do this, these things, still hate thinking about some of the things that Gunnery sergeant I'll leave his last name out, did to us as we ran 150 yards down a hill to do 20 exercises of this and back up, to do 20 exercises of this. The worst one, it was leg day. Leg day was bad day, it was like a nightmare. He warned us that it wasn't gonna go well for us the next three days after that. We did lunges, 150 yards of them, and then reversed lunges uphill. It was a bad scene. He did it on a Friday, because he knew he couldn't PT us the next day after that. So it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then like the first part of Monday, it was still very difficult. We had to go sit down in class at one point. It's like, please, no, I don't want to do this. (laughs) Terrible. But there was a reason for all of this. They were trying to prepare us for field training with our gear on. And I'll remember during those days of field training, where they wanted us to have as little sleep as possible, and they would uh, run us with all of our uh, equipment onto a field or a, you know, a place where there are some obstacle courses, where we would hurdle walls and climb structures and crawl through the mud. All of the goal was to test our bodies and our minds. One of the obstacle courses, I, I have a picture for you, you can tell how stressed I am in this picture. Um, we had to, I had to crawl through this hole, which for me isn't exactly the easiest thing, because I'm not skinny, and um that board that's hanging there that wasn't in place. I had to actually run that under my body um, and then try to land it and it's It's really just about as long as it can reach from the tube that I'm in to that stanchion that I had to place it on. I had to pull this thing out there and and, and land it on on that other part, and you can tell the the happiness on the face of uh the sergeant the uh Petty officer that was to, to my right. And then uh, there was a little bit of victory celebration after the end of that. <laughs> All of the PT was to an end to get us ready for this so that we'd be able to press forward and, and make it through things that would be beneficial in a, in a real-life situation. God, likewise, tests us to exercise within us this endurance or this ability to rely upon him when everything is taken away from us. You don't test that in a, in a vacuum. You don't test that in a sterile environment. You test that right in the midst of battle, in the midst of difficulty. He wants to produce a patient endurance with circumstances because, in verse 4, there's another result. Let steadfastness, or patience, have its full effect, that you may be what? Perfect, perfect. And complete, lacking in nothing. He piles on some words here. At the end of the first part of verse 4, let steadfastness have its full effect. The word teleos is full. Bringing to its completion, bringing to its end place have its full effect. We want this patient to have its full effect. And what is that full effect? Well, let's reiterate, it's that you may be perfect. And the word there is teleos, that you may come to your final conclusion, exactly what God wants you to be. And if you haven't gotten it yet, that you may be complete, that, that you wouldn't be lacking in anything. He's he's telling us God puts us through these things or allows these things into our lives so that the, the, the patience or steadfastness He wants to build in us will result in bringing us to our proper conclusion. Are God's children, listen carefully, are God's children going to reach their full end? Yes, no, maybe, what? How do you know? Because it depends on Him. It depends on Him. Later on you can read Romans 8, 28 through 30. It tells us that the same God that foreknew us and predestined us and justified us also glorified us already. It's it's as good as done, because what God determines will come to pass. He'll bring have its full effect. So all right, so then what is the point of this? Take a look at another passage, Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. God wants to bring to bear his character in our lives demonstrated in us as he brings forth difficulties in our lives. If we think that this life is going to be something we skate through, we're going to be very disappointed. And you're mature enough to know that you haven't been skating to this point. So I I want to just give a little purpose to all of that not skating. God's word gives us answers to why things are hard. Things are hard because it's God is doing something that leads to great, great things that last forever. In Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse tw- uh, 19, please. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Uh, who are we talking about? Paul. In fellowship with God or no? What do you think? Doing God's will or no? What do you think? Oh, if you'll just do everything you're supposed to do, everything will be perfect in your life. You will not face any trials or difficulties. You'll be wealthy beyond your imagination and healthy with beyond compare. Everything will be great. Come, seize! Here's Paul giving his life to bring the gospel. And they stoned him. Is that a trial? <laughs> Methinks. Uh, they stoned him and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So we're not talking about he got hit by a pebble. They thought he was dead. They had to drag him out of the city. What, we, what are we going to do here? Here we are stoned, not from marijuana, from something else. Stoned from, from big boulders that knock you as if you're dead. I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, Mommy, Mommy, please take, make me some chicken soup for my soul. It'll be great. That's what, that's what we would want to do. What does Paul do? Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Like it didn't happen. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. What were they doing? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Why? They were encouraging them to continue in the faith. Because the, he wasn't going to face this, this difficulty alone when he says this and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Now, he's not saying that the tribulations produce salvation. He's saying, because you're one of God's people, there's going to be tribulations in your life. And and it's through those tribulations and the other side of it, you'll see the kingdom of God in its fullest impact. And it will be glorious. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Committed them to the Lord. Well, that's, a, that's an interesting word that committed. It's, it's an entrusting. He said, listen, a- as you go forward, I want you to know that it's through much tribulation we enter the kingdom of God. Okay, so now here are some elders among you. Good luck. <laughs> peace be with you and grace because you're going to need peace in the midst of difficulty and you are gonna need grace in the midst of turmoil. So he commits them to the Lord. Listen to how Peter uses that same word in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer, it's not a good word. We don't like the word suffer. Let those who suffer. What does the next one say? According to God's will? According to God's will? Let those who suffer according to God's will and trust, there's the same word committed, and trust the, their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. What does he mean? Well Keep living the gospel and telling the gospel. In every relationship, in every setting that you're in, keep demonstrating who God is. Trust him. Trust him. It won't be easy. God wills that we face difficulty. Why? It produces steadfastness. And what does that steadfastness do? It brings us to our fitted conclusion. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world, on the other hand, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome The world. I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Philippians, chapter one, just for a moment. We know that the book of Philippians is is many times it is associated with joy and rejoicing. Paul rejoices in the face of opponents that are preaching the gospel just to irritate him. Look at we're still out here preaching the gospel, and you're in there. You remember because Paul was in jail, and he tells him to rejoice, in that, in that, even though he's in jail. In verse 21 of Philippians 1, it says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is what? Gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, which I shall choose. I, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith. And so here Paul is. He's in prison. He's writing to them. He says, I would much rather be with Jesus. (laughs) I'd much rather not be on in the flesh. But God has something for me. That is for me to influence you. That's for me to Keep giving you what you need. It's for your benefit. And because it's for your benefit, that's what the Lord's going to do. Was it for Paul's benefit? Not really. He'd rather be with Jesus. Take a look at chapter 4. As he comes toward the conclusion of the letter, he's really going to say why he was writing to say thank you. Thank you for support. Thank you for your care of me. But he he couches it in in pretty nice terms because he says... Thanks, I would have been okay without it, but thank you for doing it. Verse 11, he says, Not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be what? Content. The word content there means to be self-sufficient. It better would be looked at as God-sufficient. I don't need anything from the outside to be content. I don't need anything more. I, I have enough is the idea. I have learned to be content. Verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says this this secret, if it's a secret, right, it means not everybody knows it. And he said he learned it. How did he learn it? Through difficulty. It was through difficulty. Not through ease. Not through all of his needs being met. It was through difficulty. He learned the secret of contentment. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now I want to take your mind back and we're not going to turn there but I'll try to remind you accurately. Abram came away from a a conquest, and he had, you know, all this booty that comes from this conquest, and he goes to the, the king, for which he was in aid, and the king wants to give him all kinds of stuff, and he says, no, just give, give me and my people what we need to survive, the things that, that you've kind of taken for, from us by us being with you. I don't want anyone to say that you made me rich. I'm not going to take even a shoelace from you pretty strong, pretty bold. It's pretty trusting. That's when you come into Galatians, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, and God says, Abram, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. In other words, wise choice. I'm enough. And it inter, uh, introduced a, a conversation between God and Abram, which I, we can't fathom. Like I, I, I hear from God in his word. He doesn't like say stuff to me. And I don't respond to what he says. But Abram is having this real interchange with God. God, how am I going to know that I'm going to inherit all this that you're telling me? I've, I've got Eleazar in my household. And God says, no, 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 no. No, that's not it. Go outside. You remember this. Look up. Count the stars. Can you count them? Nope. That's how many of descendants will come from you. Wow. And you remember the whole thing of the, the, the treaty, the, the covenant that was made in Moses gets all the animals, cuts them in half, lines them up, and God puts a deep sleep on Abram. One of the things that God says to Abram in this process is, You and your people will be in affliction in Egypt for 400 years. And we we keep reading, right? Because because we we like what's next, and we just kind of, all right, pass on that, that 400 years deal. And we don't stop to think, in 400 years, how many generations of people are born? A lot. It's a lot of generations of people. What did they know their whole life? Slavery. Any of these people, born again people? It's gotta be. It's gotta be people among the people of God, right? That are born again. These are, they, they trusted Yahweh, they trusted the promise. What did they do every day? Bricks. Labor. Slavery. Day in and day out. Some of these people were born into slavery and died a slave. We move ourselves forward into the 21st century and we think, listen, the way that it should work for me in my life is I should have all of my needs provided for. I should be healthy, wealthy, and wise. I should have... um, Everything laid out, it should be smooth and perfect. And yet we forget that God's people have endured affliction throughout the years. Why am I going to be different? Sometimes we have to recognize that God didn't intend this life to be everything I intended it to be. He might have other things in mind for me. Well, with that in mind, I want you to turn to the book of Revelation 21 for a moment. God has supplied our most important need, and God is preparing us for an eternity of being satisfied by Him. And I like looking at descriptions of heaven. I like thinking about beauty. Like when, when you go off into the mountains in the fall, you see the the water and the mountains and the, and the colors of the leaves, and you think, man, this is just gorgeous. Or you, you go out at night and you look up into the sky and you see the beauty. You think, man, this is amazing. Or you're, you're out on, on the, the coastline in, in Newport, or if you're on, on, in, in California or on Big Sur, and you look out into the, the ocean, you're like, this is breathtaking. We think of all the beauty that we will behold in heaven, and that's not the prize. The scenery's not the prize, the mansion, the room, that's not the prize. The streets of gold, not the prize. The trees that are blooming with, with different types of fruit every, 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 all the time, not, not the prize. Surrounded by my loving family and friends, my church family, that's not the prize. I can't wait to see so-and-so, name, name it, not the prize. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven And they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Folks, you have endured. Maybe you are enduring. And I can assure you, you will endure more trials. Are you made for this life or the next? Is everything hung up in how I feel and if I'm satisfied? Or is there something better? John Piper wrote these words. I think they are fitting for our consideration. The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven? If Christ were not there, is he the prize? Or is everything else there described the prize? I can't answer it for you. What are you looking for? Is Jesus truly satisfying to you? Even when you face terror and turmoil and death and pain and woe is Jesus satisfying. That's what heaven is. Heaven is about him, his Father, and a glorious spirit that we'll dwell with forever if we know him. Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us to see that the things we face in this life are not meaningless, but very purposeful, ordered from you. Help us to entrust our soul to you as a faithful creator, while we do your will, while we yield our spirit, while we learn to trust you with every ounce of our being in every sphere of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.